0: Acclaimed author, Katherine Min, passed away in 2019. Her stellar literary career included a Pushcart Prize, an NEA grant, the Sherwood Anderson Foundation Fiction Award, and many other accolades and awards. Her debut novel, Secondhand World, received enviable praise and was a finalist for the Penn Bingham Prize. After Katherine Min's death, her daughter, Kayla Min Andrews, inherited her laptop and files that would eventually become the published book, The Fetishist. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. Collated and completed after Katherine Minn's untimely death, the novel The Fetishist is provocative, hilarious, and darkly serious. It tells the story of three people. Kyoko, a young singer in a punk rock band who seeks to channel her anger and sorrow after her mother's death, Daniel is a hapless man who's grappling with the failings of his past in matters of love and career, and Alma, a woman who had once been in a romantic relationship with Daniel. She'd always been admired for her beauty and her talent, but now she has a terminal illness. The novel addresses issues of sexual politics and the fetishization of Asian women. It's also about many other things and is compelling, funny, and intelligent, and explores art, sex, love, and grief. I spoke to Kayla Min Andrews, the daughter of the late Catherine Min, about her mother's posthumously published novel, The Fetishist. You've shepherded this book that was written by your mother, Catherine Min. Can you just talk to me a little bit about the journey, the publication journey? And I know that it, can be a long story. Can you just tell us what was that process like? What was the journey for this particular book?
1: It feels like it was a surprising and unlikely journey. It wasn't something I thought about while she was still alive. She stopped working on this novel in 2014 when she got diagnosed with cancer. Um, because she knew her time was limited and she wanted to create new work rather than finish polishing and promoting something she'd already created. Yeah. So she was writing essays right up until her death in 2019. And it was originally those essays that I wanted to see published because it was moving to see the urgency with which she was working on them, even in her hospice room. And then I reached out to some of her friends, including Kathy Park Hong, who connected me to her agent, who found Sally Kim, the editor at Putnam, and um, suddenly we were all brainstorming and the thing about the essays was because she was known as a fiction writer it kind of made more sense to go with her unpublished novel first and then hopefully the essays could follow and yeah suddenly it was happening Um, this was about two years after her death when those talks started and yeah i pulled up the draft of her novel that she hadn't she literally hadn't opened
0: the file since 2014.
1: i pulled it up because i inherited her laptop and We got started from there.
0: Her system of uh, saving files sounds (laughs) like mine. (laughs) It was like, I read in your afterword about how files were named, like, you know, newer, you know, newer files. Yeah, fetishes, newer, fetishes, last bit. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I finally organized it by I'm not very, you know, I'm not very tech savvy, but then I was like, oh, you can organize it by what was opened most recently. And that, and that's how I was like, oh, this was definitely the most recent draft. And it was last opened March 2014, which is when she got diagnosed. So I knew that she stopped working on it when she got diagnosed, but I didn't realize she literally never opened the file again, which is that's who she was. She was a very decisive person.
0: I like what you say about her impracticality. You describe in the afterword this idea of her impracticality as being something that she saw as a badge of honor and it was a way for her to claim power over her life. It was sort of, you say, a form of rebellion from the isolation that she endured in childhood because her parents were very uh, stoic, right, emotionally. I thought about this idea with the book and thought... And that's something that's so interesting to me, because another thing that she thought that you wrote about was that many writers are driven, quote, by a terror of important things going unsaid. I read the afterword, and then I reread the novel, and I kept thinking about this idea of just that sense of urgency, maybe, that you absorbed from this process of making sure that your mother's novel got out into the world. Writers are driven by a terror of important things going unsaid. I mean, that's the, you know, that's the T-shirt and the bumper sticker and the tattoo, isn't it? (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) I wonder, though, was there anything, I imagine there's many surprising things, but what what was the most surprising thing that you encountered in this process of going through your mom's files and shepherding guiding this work along was there anything that was really really surprising to you
1: first thing that pops
0: into my mind is
1: you know and no spoilers but the very last chapter of the novel because i had read she had been emailing me like chapters and pieces as she was writing them um, but i hadn't seen the whole novel the way she put it together the way she kind of spliced the different storylines and perspectives and, and arranged them so i was reading the novel you know as a novel for the first time um when I when I dug it up on her on the inherited laptop and I was so surprised because I had read that piece of writing but I didn't realize that she intended it as the last chapter of the book yeah. so that that was a big surprise like so much of the novel as I was reading it I was like oh yeah I remember this I remember that oh yeah yeah yeah. and it felt so intuitive and it felt so like almost almost a part of me like but then that last chapter I was like ah. <laughs> what like, it's scratch? and yep. i was really surprised and it still kind of messes with my head that that you can end a novel that way <laughs> no and spoilers. i told Sa- uh, sally the editor i was like are we are we sure about this?" and she was like yeah that's the beauty of it is that it really really sticks with you really you know
0: poses I,
1: questions and lingers in the mind
0: i agree i want everybody to to read this novel if not if for any other reason just for that so can you give us a summary, you know, as this book has been sitting on my desk or in my lap or, you know, I'm holding it up or walking around with it and people say, oh, what are you reading? Oh, The Fetishist. And people, you know, people have a lot of questions about it. What do you say that it's about when people ask you, what's the novel about? What do you say?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a little hard to summarize, but I guess one thing I tend to go towards first is the fact that there's a a young woman who is trying to get revenge on the man that she holds responsible for her mother's death um basically trying to get revenge on um, her mother her deceased mother's ex-lover um so there's this this quest for revenge um I usually start with that and then but then you know the, the titular fetishist is the man that she's pursuing revenge upon um but then you also get his perspective and he's thinking about his first love from decades ago um who's across the country who's a cellist uh struggling with a terminal illness
0: your mom was writing about a character with a terminal illness well before she was diagnosed
1: yes it's really haunting to think about because yeah, Alma, the character Alma is is dealing with a terminal illness, but then you also have Daniel, who is playing classical music in hospice centers for people as they're dying. Um, there's a lot of grief throughout the novel, and mom wrote it all before her diagnosis, so she didn't know that terminal illness and hospice and death, it was all waiting right around the corner for her, but she wrote this
0: novel without knowing that. That's so interesting. I mean, there is so much in here that is about obsession and love and a kind of possession and also a kind of yearning for sure, but but also a lot about grief that's so interesting to me and maybe a little bit unexpected, just knowing what I knew about the book, walking into it. But I was considering the fact that your mother wrote this book, that, the, that your mother wrote this book well before, I think, what we now see as this question about Asian American representation in the arts. And so this idea of fetishizing that is part of this story uh, is so interesting to me. What do you think, you know, sort of walking into a season of helping to promote this book, what are some of the things you're anticipating from readers about those questions, those uncomfortable questions right about those particular themes
1: yeah i don't really know what to expect yeah i'm nervous cuz i feel like the book says it so eloquently like if you don't know what asian fetishism is if you you know i've i've gotten a range of reactions like some people are like what's that i've never heard of it and other people are like oh yeah that oh my god <laughs> like let me tell you about that you know so i think there's such a range and i think wherever you are on the on the spectrum of knowing about asian fetishism um the book explains it so well and goes into it so well and like with such humor and aplomb and it's so funny. And so I feel like you should learn what fetishism is from the novel or you should, or you should expand on kind of how you think about it through the novel, like not through me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm I'm nervous. People want me to like define it or give examples or, and it's just like the book does all that so well, <laughs> it, but
0: um, yeah. it truly does. Your mother had described the novel in an early stage This way, she said, it's going to have many characters, omniscient narration, lots of shit is going to happen, suicide, kidnapping, attempted murder. It'll be arch and clever and also heartfelt. I'm going to channel the Baca. When she first told you that, what did you think? I know you must have trusted it. Oh,
1: sure. Yeah. But I did think like, wow, that's so different from secondhand world. Um, Secondhand mm-hmm. World was her debut novel. It came out in 2006, um, and it's one perspective, one first-person narrator, and just much more contained and kind of quieter. So yeah, when she told me all that, I was like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, a big shift in her in her development and kind of the ambitiousness of it. The mo- even just like the multiple storylines and perspectives and omniscient narration, which. Mm-hmm. Isn't done so much these days. I feel like you know, it used to be common, maybe in the eighteen hundreds, and then now it's less common. That kind of arch, godlike narration that goes in and out of different different characters' heads, and sometimes comments upon the characters. Yeah, I was definitely my interest was piqued when she told me that, and I was <laughs> surprised.
0: I also enjoyed reading about the ways that you found your mom in the sentences of the manuscript and found yourself even. That was so interesting to me to be able to uh, think about that as I was rereading the book. But I also, in reading about your mom and learning more about her, the things that you wrote about her, was so interested in her sort of punk rock side and kind of these other sorts of interests that she had that are interspersed throughout the book. I just, I love that part of of the story of sort of no even knowing that and then walking into the book and seeing some of those elements there really needs to be a spotify playlist that goes with this book
1: <laughs> yes definitely yeah i'm going to make a note of that I'll do that immediately
0: <laughs> <laughs> you are also a writer so i'm wondering what you've gleaned about writing and publishing from working on this particular project that's sort of just for you if you and of course, it will always be for you and your mom. But what do you think about that? What have you gleaned that's just sort of for you now as a writer?
1: Definitely, this whole process has been, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, in support of mom, in support of her work. But it's been a process of me stepping up. And, you know, its it's been confidence building. And that's something I, I struggle with and have struggled with historically. But just And it's something mom always encouraged me to do and I couldn't quite do it. And now she's gone, but I feel like she's still encouraging me through her work and and the journey that this novel has taken. It's like, um, yeah, mom was always like, I think if you spoke up a little bit more or put yourself out there a little bit more or uh, trusted that that what you have to contribute is valuable, I think you'd get positive reaction and um, I think it'd be good for you. So that's something, you know, in the holistic sense, I feel like I've, through this project, because it's it matters so much to me um, to honor mom, I have to use my voice and trust that what I have to say is valuable and kind of step up in a way that is a huge, it's just been a huge source of growth. And I'm sure it'll continue to be. And that's, that's for us. That's for mom. And that's for me. Just for me too.
0: You mentioned her essays, the nonfiction that she was writing. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so it's fascinating because she went from the fetishist, which is these long, ornate sentences and omniscient narration, and the essays stylistically are much more pared down, direct. The essays themselves are very short, often short paragraphs. Um, Yeah, very direct. She would talk about how knowing that her time was limited, feeling that urgency, she felt like she didn't want the artifice of fiction. She didn't want the elaborate creation of you know like suggesting things or hinting at things she wanted to just kind of take it on head first and so so the style is really different and the way the sentences are constructed but i feel like you can still feel that the humor that was so inherent to her personality the kind of cheeky humor Um, some of the essays make me laugh out loud even though a lot of them are about mortality and realizing you're gonna die she has an essay called on being a sprinter where she's like, you know, you're either a marathon runner or you're a sprinter. And I'm a sprinter. Like, I feel more comfortable writing short stories than novels. Um, I I tend to write short chapters when I do write novels. And then she's like, and, you know, in terms of living life, I'm a sprinter. So now that I know that I don't have much time left, that actually feels right somehow to me. And I feel like I can be a better person because I know I don't have to keep it up for too long. (laughs) And it's like so sad, but it's so funny. It always makes me laugh. So... Yeah, that kind of deep self awareness. Mm-hmm. I feel like you can see throughout her fiction and her essays. But yeah, the, so the essays are about mortality and thinking about death, and you know, knowing that that her time is limited. But then it's also reflecting on herself as a writer, a little bit of her past, and you know, being an Asian American writer. Yeah, and they're they're quite striking. It's it's a very different style from what you might expect if you read the fetishist. Even though the the personality feels very similar.
0: in the afterword of the book, you write that your mom, quote, liked intense, unconventional characters and beautiful prose. And you share that she also loved the moments of transcendent power when narrative time stops and the language becomes intense, sentences lengthening or else shortening. An essential truth about the human condition is revealed. She called them moments of amplification, that's so gorgeous. That is such a gorgeous description. Reading that after reading the novel, I thought back to your description of how you all would read aloud to each other. And that reading sort of mimicked this idea or illustrated this very idea when you were reading some of her favorite authors. And I thought, that's just so beautiful. But it is also true of her own prose in this particular novel, there are some short chapters. There are some longer chapters. There is the omniscient narration. There is th- also this shifting perspective from Daniel to Alma to Kyoko. I mean, it is, t- it is, and there is humor. <laughs> there is a lot of humor. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it's just uh, something so gorgeous. It It is such an achievement, I have to tell you. I dove into the book and I just thought this is an exemplary work. I mean, this is just so gorgeous in so many different ways. Even as it deals with those very difficult questions about Asian fetishism, there's also so much else to read about and learn about and kind of luxuriate in or learn from. What's been your Favorite part? I know this has been maybe a labor of love, but maybe with some mixed emotions woven into that. What's been something sort of surprising and and positive and happy that you've encountered along the way?
1: So many things. The the part that stands out to me, um, because I'm a writer also, was the editing process. So um, the novel was you know complete and and beautiful and. But the editor, Sally Kim, and I brainstormed on, well, there was one scene. Yeah, that's right. So originally, when I dug it up from her laptop, there was one scene that kind of just stopped. And then there was a note, you know, he can make a comment in the word document. So mom had made a comment to herself being like, "Eh, finish this scene later, and then describing what happens in the scene. So that was the one thing that was like, not complete. Um, So I had to write that scene. And then I had an idea for a a very short little scene towards the end uh, that I thought, could be really cool and Sally agreed so i wrote that and then Sally had ideas of just certain arcs that could be brought out a little more um so it was mostly adding but it was like adding a sentence here a paragraph there to sort of bring out certain arcs or no spoilers but that process was so intense and so amazing and as a writer such a unique creative endeavor you know it's really rare that you know to Yeah, it really messed with my head, but it was ultimately a very positive, very exciting experience to add some of my own, craft some of my own sentences to fit into the novel and contribute, you know, help, yeah, put some some of my own words into the novel. And then it felt like I was collaborating with mom artistically and made me feel really connected to her.
0: Ayla, Min, Andrews, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: That was Kayla Min Andrews, the daughter of the late Katherine Min, discussing her mother's posthumously published novel, The Fetishist. This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Jacob Rizzotti composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Iquette Benavides.